The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me uh, to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And Lord willing, we're going to walk through uh, verses 6 through 12 today, and uh, we'll progress along as we, as we go through this book together. We come to the Word of God knowing that God has spoken, and uh, we need desperately to hear from Him. Amen? Amen. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, before I get to the text, we, we sang a song earlier uh, by Shane and Shane. I think, I think that's who wrote that song. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's, that's right based on the story that I, I was able to find. The, the song is called, Though You Slay Me. Uh, Though You Slay Me. And uh, Shane Bernard, whom I, I'm assuming is one of the Shanes of Shane and Shane. That's why I, I went there. I didn't just do all the homework. But Shane Bernard understands the truth of that song personally. Uh, Shane, his father died uh, very early, and, uh, and they had to walk through the pain of losing uh, his, his father in this untimely death. Uh, he and his family, uh, in that time, desperately looked to God for comfort. They didn't pull away. They didn't shrink back. They didn't get angry with God. They just pushed into God and said, God, we need you desperately at this moment. They clung to God's word, and in the deepest moments of grief, they were led to worship. And out of that, that happening um, came the, the lyrics to this song. And so I just, I know we sang it earlier, but I want to just read you, this to you again, just so that you let this sink in and know where this song came from. Uh, the, the lyric is, I come, God, I come, I return to the Lord the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart. Sometimes suffering feels that way. Like you're, you're, you've just been ripped apart. He says, you strike, you strike me down to bind me up. You say you do it all in love that I might know you in your suffering. You know, there's a level of, of knowing God and his presence and his comfort that can only come through suffering. You know, that, I mean, that, that is so true. There are people that walk... In a place where you haven't walked, and it seems that they walk closer to the Lord than you do. And it's not that they have any kind of favored status. It's just that they've walked through suffering that you haven't walked through. And they know his presence. The chorus goes on and says, Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I worship. Sing a song to the one who's all I need. Now, don't forget, that song is birthed out of the loss of a father. That's, that's just incredible. And we look at that and we say, how in the world can that be? That's just unnatural. Well, that's the experience of believers everywhere every time they go through suffering. Many of you have been praying for uh, this little baby, uh, Miles Evans. Is that right? Uh, strong for Miles. Uh, some of you heard, uh, baby, I think he passed away last night. And I just want to read to you just something that uh, Miles' mother, I think three months old, am I correct in that? About that? I keep looking over here because I, I know that some over here uh, are, have followed this. So um, she writes on her Facebook last night, Praise the Lord. I can officially say that little man is healed. His brain is healed. His left hand is healed. His little lungs and heart are healed. No more Brady's or, or DSATs, no more CPAP, praise the Lord, no more tubes, no more tests, no more beeps, and no more alarms. Miles has been completely healed, and the hubs, sorry, it jumped on me, and the hubs and I are rejoicing. 
I thought I would be angry, listen to this, but I'm not. The Lord has given so much peace through this. It sucks that we did not have much time on earth with our little man, but because we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is not the end. Miles is with Jesus now, and he is just getting things warmed up for me uh, when, when we meet him, when we come to join him there. You know, this is unnatural and uncommon, but here we have Shane from Shane and Shane writing this song. We have this mother in our, in our own community who this baby's been at, I think, Greenville Hospital ever since the baby was born. And, and praising the Lord in the midst of tragedy. And we say, how in the world could this be? Well, I want to read to you uh, just a, a, one more thing before I get into the text because I just want you to feel the weight of this for a minute. Lauren Chandler, who is the wife of Matt Chandler, who uh, a few years back uh, suffered, um, he, he had a, a tumor on his brain, grand mal seizure, went through months of, of chemo and treatment and all this sort of thing. Um, Lauren Chandler, who walked through that suffering not knowing if her husband w- would live or die, uh, she writes about the song, Though You Slay Me. And, and she says this, If the thought of singing this song honestly terrifies if the thought of, the, of singing this song honestly terrifies you, you're in good company. This is a song I can only sing by the grace of God. Oh, but how grateful I am that he has let me sing it. It has been in the slaying of my heart, of my dreams, of my comfort, of my plan for my life that he has shown himself to be enough. He has made a mockery of the enemy's desire to steal, kill, and destroy Just as the accuser sought to discourage and ruin Job, to incite him to curse God, he comes after you and me. And just as God sustained Job and did not forsake him, if we are in Christ, he sustains us and never forsakes us. The slaying becomes the saying. The wounds become the worship. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Sing a song to the one who's all I need. I want to challenge you today in our text to look at your suffering through the lens of the gospel. That as a follower of Jesus Christ, to know that he is the one who is closer than a brother. That he is the one who will never leave or forsake. That in the midst of your suffering, while, while I don't know your suffering, and it may be intense, he is all you need. And so I want to push you toward him today and, and, uh, and look at how the Bible calls us to praise him in the midst of suffering. So let's read our text today, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. The Bible says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. 
Today, we are called from this passage and in following Christ, we are called to experience good grief. We're we're called to, to understand that joy transcends trials. We're called to rejoice. That's what verse 6 says. In this you rejoice. We, we don't know there if this is an imperative or this is an indicative. In other words, is this a command? Is this a verb? Is Peter here saying to those who follow Christ, rejoice in this. Pick yourself up and rejoice. Make yourself rejoice. Is this what he's saying? Or is this simply an observation where he's saying Christians because they are in Christ and because they follow Him, because they know Him personally, when and in suffering, they rejoice. It's just an observation. So which is it? Is it a command or is it an observation? Well, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And, and nobody's twisting your arm, nobody's drugged you here, but perhaps in your life you have watched someone in your life, a, a, a Christian who has gone through a particular time of suffering and you've watched how they rejoiced in the middle of it and you you said to yourself, that's not natural. It's unnatural for a lady whose three-month-old baby dies that in less than 24 hours to say, we're praising the Lord that he's, he's home and he's healed. That's not natural. And so perhaps that's you and you've seen someone who follows Christ, praise God in the midst of suffering, and it's caused you to wonder, and you're here investigating this thing. This is a good place to be. Maybe you're here today, and you're not a Christian, and you are going through a time of suffering, and you're hurting so severely that you just want someone to give you something to give you some relief. You're just desperate to know relief from the pain that you're in, and so it's caused you to come to this place today. You're in a good place. Maybe you're here today and you are a Christian, and yet you're struggling. You're in the middle of suffering. You're in the middle of something right now that's going on. And you're, you're a believer and you hear, you know the Bible tells you to rejoice. But right now you're in the middle of this and you're saying, but I don't know how. I don't know that I can do this. You're in a good place to be. I want us to look at this today because Christians are called to rejoice, to embrace the fact that joy for the believer transcends trials. This doesn't mean that we won't suffer. In fact, the Bible says Jesus just promises us that if we are His in this world, that we will suffer. You know, the Bible here specifically in verse 6 uses the language. It says, you have been grieved by various trials. The very word grieved is not a good word. Sometimes there's no other way to express what you really feel about what you're going through other than, this sucks. And I realize for some of you that's an offensive word, but I need you to give me some leeway this morning because sometimes somebody in the middle of something is, that's all they know to to say, this this sucks. That's the reality of it. The word here, grieved, means that we don't scream, yay! It's not what the Bible's calling us to. If you're on the outside looking in at this and you say rejoice in suffering, that's ridiculous. These Christians are just, they're just playing the game. They drank the Kool-Aid and now they're just, they're just following along. Yay, suffering. That's not what the Bible calls us to. We don't minimize the pain, nor do we minimize the evil that caused that pain. There, There are times when someone else's actions, someone's disobedience and their their willful disobedience to God has has brought pain in your life. 
We don't minimize that. My sister right now uh, really saw her walk for the first time uh, in over two years uh, when I was there the last time. Uh, A lot of the reason why she's where she is is because of her choices that she made. And I make no bones about it. I can't, I can't take that back. My, my sister chose to go off into some things that, that brought a lot of pain onto her, onto her son, onto my mom and dad, onto us as a family. Uh, my, my sister's been addicted to drugs since she was 16 years old. Uh, she's now only 45 years old. Um, you know, I, I don't minimize the evil. Sometimes we're grieved in this world. The, the Bible here, the specific language is that we have been grieved by various trials. The word various is a word that means all kinds. In fact, it's, it specifically means many colored. You know, sometimes there's so much pain that comes your way, and it seems to come in so many different colors and shades and hues. Oftentimes they're black and blue, they're many colored. They come your way, and Keith Urban's song right now, Blue's Not Your Color, the Christian is not immune to the colors of suffering in this world. It comes in all colors, in many shades. But Peter goes on in, his, in this letter, in chapter 4, to describe the diverse graces of God by using the same word. He says that we have been grieved by many colored trials, and then in, verse four, in chapter 4 he says that God has many colored graces. It is God's varied or manifold grace, His many colored grace. And His point is that for every shade or hue or color of suffering that will come into your life, even though you follow Jesus, God has a specific grace to match that color. That there is nothing that you will go through. Like the, the farmer's insurance commercial. We've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything. Bum, ba-dum, bum. Yeah, sorry, I won't do it. Right? <laughs> In the same way, for every trouble that comes your way, God has grace to cover it. We're called to rejoice. And it doesn't mean that we won't suffer, so we're called to rejoice in the midst of that suffering. So the question is, how? How can we rejoice in suffering? I want to give you just a few things this morning from this passage. Number one is this. We can rejoice in suffering because it won't last long. Now, the, the words here in the passage in verse 6 says, though now for a little while. It literally means for a season. I can't guarantee to you, to you that it, you know, it's only going to be this long or it's only going to last this amount. I can't tell you that at all. I can't because sometimes suffering will last an entire lifetime. Perhaps maybe you've been in suffering that's lasted for years and you think, when, God, when will this be over with? When will I get relief from this suffering? Perhaps it's been decades. Perhaps it's been lifelong. Sometimes suffering will last all of your life. I can't guarantee you that it will be short. But here's what I'm saying to you, and here's what the passage is saying to us. Is that compared to the inheritance that is ours, that we spoke of last week, that is eternal. Compared to our eternal inheritance that is guarded and kept for us in heaven, suffering in this life is short compared to that. It doesn't compare. 
Compared to eternity, what is five or ten years? Compared to eternity, what is 60 or 70 or 80 years? We, we can't even comprehend eternity. We, we, it may sound callous for me to stand up here as a preacher and say to you, it won't last long compared to eternity. What you're in is it's not going to last long. I'm not trying to be callous or insensitive to you, but I do want us to see that eternity has no end. And so in this life, for the believer, for the follower, who's not immune to the suffering, compared to the reward that's coming to us, it is brief. And what that does is it makes the present suffering just a little more bearable, and that's what I want you to receive today. If you're in the midst of the suffering, I want you to receive the hope that it it is bearable, that you can bear up under it with the grace of God. You know, if, if, if I know something is only temporary, most of the time I can endure it. You know, I shared with you two weeks ago, you know, coming back on that plane uh, from California and that five-hour flight, and I'm cramped into that row, my knees are, you know, all the, I mean, I was in pain the whole time, you know, and I was just, I was, you know, having ill feelings toward the guy in front of me and all that. But I knew it's a five-hour flight. It's a five-hour flight. I knew hey, we're going to land. We're going to get off this plane. And and I went through all the, you know, like I got claustrophobic when we landed and nobody was moving fast enough. Like, you know, the guys on, you know, they're not bringing it up. But I knew it was coming to an end. And the reality is for the believer in suffering, we know that it's bearable because it's temporary. God says to us, this is not final. And that's good news. Uh, in, in his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins tells the true story of Admiral Jim Stockdale. Stockdale was the highest-ranking U.S. military uh, officer who was captured as a prisoner of war during the height of the Vietnam War. Uh, he was tortured over 20 times during his eight years in captivity, and he, and he lived out the war without any prisoner's rights, no set release date, and no certainty that he would survive at all. Yet Stockdale's story of survival and helping the other POWs to survive is is gruesome and heroic. Stockdale once beat himself with a stool and cut himself with a razor so that he could not be shown on camera as an example of a well-treated prisoner. Upon his eventual release, Stockdale became the first three-star officer in the history of the Navy to wear both aviator wings and the Congressional Medal of Honor. Jim Collins had the opportunity to interview Stockdale, and during that interview, Stockdale revealed the secret of his ability to survive despite horrifically bleak circumstances. Stockdale said, This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. I don't know if Stockdale's a believer or not, but here's the reality. For the Christian, if this is true for, for Stockdale, how much more true is it for the believer? We know, we, we have faith, we have certain confident assurance that this is not it, that there is a better future coming, that there is an inheritance that's waiting for us. We don't make light of those things that we're in right here, but we don't confuse the fact that God is leaving us here with the fact that He's not going to take us here. We confront these brutal facts of our condition, but we know all the while that heaven is coming, that Jesus is going to return, 
that suffering on this earth will not have the final say, that we will be made well and be with him if we are his. Sometimes there's no other way to say it other than present suffering sucks. It's awful. It does not make you happy, but it's temporary. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So the first reason why we can rejoice is because it won't last very long. Secondly, from our passage today is, we rejoice in suffering because it is not without purpose. Our suffering is not without purpose. In verse 6, he says, if necessary. Those two little words have given me hope so many times. In the midst of suffering, and I've had to suffer so little compared to so many. But those two little words give such purpose. God's not, he's not playing around present suffering in, in, in this life. is not the result of karma or fate or some impersonal force of nature. We don't suffer at, at just the whims of, uh, of, of, of our, our environment. We suffer when it is necessary. We, we suffer when, when God deems that it is necessary to serve a purpose in our life. You see, God picks up suffering like a carpenter picks up a hammer or a screwdriver or a saw or a level. God picks up suffering like, uh, like a physician picks up a, a scalpel or a blood pressure cuff. God picks up suffering and He goes to work in our lives to take us from where we are to where He has promised we will be. It becomes the tools of His trade. He goes to work on us. Sometimes, for instance, let me just give you a couple of examples. Sometimes we carry too much pride. We love the Lord and we follow Him, but it's deep within us. The greatest problems, the greatest uh, you know, threats to us are not those things that are outside of us. They are what's already inside of us. And sometimes we carry around this pride. Paul knew this. And that's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 to keep me from being conceited or from having pride because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation a thorn was given me in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn was. We don't know what Paul suffered with. But we know that he goes on and says, three different times I asked the Lord, God, take it away. So it must have been intense. But God promised Paul, no, I'm leaving it with you because you need to learn that my grace is sufficient for you. That, so that you won't become conceited, so that I can rid you of this pride, so that I can remove it from you, Paul. I'm going to let you suffer so that you'll learn to depend not on yourself and on your own strength and what you can do and how you can fix this, but how I am all that you need. For instance, maybe... Sometimes we, we persist in our own disobedience. Sometimes God will discipline us so that we learn not to do that. Luke chapter 15, we, we're familiar with, if you've been around church at all, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, said to his father, give me my inheritance. I want to I live it up now. I don't care that you're still alive and well. I want my inheritance. I want to go do what I want to do. And he went off. He took that inheritance and he went off. And he, he, he just wasted it all. 
Before he knew it, he had nothing. And it was, it was not in the middle of living it up that he came to himself. It was while he was feeding pigs. And he looked down at what he was pouring out to those pigs. And he said, I'm so hungry. That looks so good. Now, I grew up. My grandparents raised hogs. Not just pigs. They raised hogs, right, in East Tennessee. And I, I know what you fed the hogs. Every bit of scrap that came off of the plates, everything that was left over went into a bucket in the washroom. And it sat there in that bucket, and it would ferment. And it would just turn, and it would do the, everything. I mean, you know, I mean, you didn't throw anything away. You just, I mean, the, the cobs. You ate all the corn off, you put the cob in there, right? I mean, everything. I don't think you're getting this. You threw everything in there. And then you took it after it sat there for a while, and you'd carry it up the road to the hog pen. And there was this old trough that my papa probably had built. And you'd take that thing, and you'd, those, those hogs would just, I mean, they'd see you coming up the road, man, and they'd just, they're coming after you. You know, they want to get where you are. I'm thinking, man, this stuff stinks. I don't want to do this. And you pour that stuff over, and you just hear it slosh and splash and everything else. And you're trying not to get it on you, and it's all over you. And those, those hogs, man, they don't wait. I mean, they're in it, and before you know it, it's gone. You know what never happened to me? I never sat there when I was feeding the hogs and said, you know, that looks pretty good. I think I want some of that. Get out of the way. You know, I didn't do any of that, right? How bad do you have to be to be at a place where a hog slop is a craving to you? Guess who allowed him to get there? Sometimes our own disobedience to, to run away from God, God allows us to go. And he says, go. You can have it. You want your way? Go. But he doesn't abandon us even though he lets us go. He allows us to feel the full weight, the full brunt of our own decisions. And the suffering is a grace of his to bring us back. It was there that the prodigal son said, my father, he's got so much. Maybe if I went back to my father, maybe if I gave him this speech and told him all of how I was wrong, right? But it was the father who allowed him to go and to experience his own consequences. See, the, the reality is that we can rejoice in suffering because it is not without purpose. God allows us to suffer because he wants to do something in our lives. Oftentimes, you know, a shepherd would, would break the leg of a sheep because the sheep kept wandering off. So he would, he would break the leg, throw it over his shoulders, carry it back to the flock so that it would learn not to run away. And that's what God does with us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So perhaps, maybe the suffering in your life is the result of a loving God looking at you and saying, I love you enough to discipline you in this. Maybe you've done nothing wrong, but maybe you're suffering anyway. Well, in the middle of this, it's a loving God who's looking at you and saying, I love you enough to make you like my son. I receive you as you are, but I love you enough not to leave you there. Our suffering in this world, we rejoice in it because it is not without purpose. Third is this. We rejoice in suffering... Because it is producing the greatest treasure that we could ever possess. 
I don't know if you know how a diamond is produced. I didn't really know. I knew kind of how a diamond was produced, but uh, uh, diamonds are produced naturally uh, when there's carbon containing minerals that are deep in the earth, somewhere around 100 miles deep in, in the earth or so. There's intense heat there. It's 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit or so. And there's heavy pressure, about 725,000 pounds per square inch. You couple that with time, and before you know it, you have this little rock. This little rock that girls everywhere dream of all their lives. I mean, they, they, you know, I know what kind I want, right? When, when my wife and I started dating before we were married, we only dated three months before I, I proposed to her. And uh, she didn't have a whole lot of time. I didn't think to think about this or whatever. So I started talking about, well, you know, if I were to ask you, what, what kind of ring would you want? Oh, I'd like a princess cut. <laughs> what? I didn't know it was a princess cut. But she knew because she had dreamed of it all of her life. People paid thousands of dollars, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars, depending on the size and the quality of this little thing that starts with carbon and heat and pressure, and time. Like a diamond, the beauty that's produced by suffering is multifaceted. It comes as a, res- as a result of maybe this process that's ugly and nobody wants it, but what it produces is multifaceted. What I, want you, what I want to do, just in my remaining time, just close this out today for you, is to show you that Suffering in the life of the believer is producing the greatest treasure that we could ever possess. And I want to show you. I want to, like a diamond, I want to turn this and just show you some of the things that God is producing through the suffering in your life. Number one in the text is genuine faith. Genuine faith. And verse 7 says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found. Genuineness is a word that means proof. It's used uh, to, uh, of the, the process where they would, they would heat metal to the point of melting it. It becomes liquid. And then all the things that are not really metal in the metal, then they come to the top. They would skim that off and, and they purify the metal this way. And, and when they're done with this process, this word, this genuineness or this proof was used to determine the quality of the metal. It discovered the metal's purity, its, its true content, what it's worth. After all, the impurities are smelted away. And sometimes God, like that smelting process, that purifying process of metal, sometimes God turns up the heat in our life. And that's what suffering is. God turns up the heat in order to prove the genuineness of our faith. Now, is God sitting up there and, and saying, I wonder who's really mine, I wonder who has real genuine faith? Well, if that's the kind of God we're talking about, then I don't know that he's worthy of our worship. He doesn't know. See, the reality is God's not proving. He's not testing. He's not allowing us to go through suffering to heat up our lives to prove our faith so that he goes, oh, yeah, well, I thought so. I just wasn't sure till now. God doesn't need the proof. Guess who needs the proof? We do. You and I do. How many times, how many times maybe have you wondered, I don't know if I'm really saved. I I just don't know. I can't tell. Well, do you know that God turns up the heat in our lives in order to prove the genuineness of our faith, not to Him, but to us? 
John MacArthur said it this way. He said, he does this not because he needs to discover who is a true believer, but so that believers gain joy and confidence in their faith. This is why when you first come to know Jesus as Savior, it's a whole lot easier for you to have doubts about your salvation early on because you haven't suffered a whole lot of anything yet. The reality is, the longer you walk with the Lord and the the more a loving Father says, let me turn up the heat on you, and you walk through some suffering, and you find Him to be there, to be everything that He said He was going to be, then, all of a sudden, you find that I am a believer. There's proof. I've walked through this. I know Him. I trust Him. You have more to, to hang your hat on on the other side of suffering. For the person who struggles with doubt often, I would say to you, just hang on. I'm not wishing suffering on you, but the reality is God may take you through some suffering in order for, to, to prove the genuineness of your faith so that you can rest in it. So that you know what it is to cling to Him with a rock-solid faith. Genuine faith is tested faith. So turn the diamond. It's, it's, it's this genuine faith. Let me turn it a little more. It's lasting faith. Verse 7 says that it's more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. When when gold is purified, it is placed in the crucible to to burn away all the impurities, and the finished product is this pure gold. People give their entire lives, just like diamonds. They give their entire lives in the pursuit of gold. They they, they work to buy it. They they wear it around their fingers, their wrists, their necks, their earlobes, other places, in their teeth, you know, all these things, right? In the end, though, it won't last. In the end, it's going to burn up. God's point is not to say your faith is like gold. He's not saying that at all. He's saying your faith is unlike gold. Because gold, even though it's purified and goes through this heat and all, the, all that we know comes off of it, he says gold, even though it's been purified, will perish. But your faith is more precious than gold. It is lasting. And suffering produces this spin of the diamond, this lasting faith. Karen Jobes in this commentary said, When the most precious things of this world, such as gold, have been destroyed by fire, Christian faith has been proved genuine. Christian faith that has been proved genuine will be shown to be the most precious of all because it will deliver one from that, that day of final fiery destruction when Jesus Christ is reve- revealed. So, it produces this lasting faith, more precious than gold. Spin the diamond, it becomes this commended faith. Verse 7 says, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now here's the reality. If we back up and we look at the context of our passage, we are elect what? Exiles, right? So you and I should never, we should never expect to be praised in this world. We should never expect to receive the praise of this world. If we do, we're fooling ourselves. If we are receiving the praise of this world, we may be fooling ourselves. We should never expect the praise of this world. Sometimes it's easy to forget our status as exiles and and get discouraged because we're not receiving that praise. The reality is, even though we won't be commended in this world, praised in this world, there's coming a day when we will be. 
And I don't mean that to sound heretical, that, that we're going to be the object of worship in heaven. And I'm t- not talking about that at all. But I am saying that the Bible teaches that for the believer, for the one who trusts the Lord, who has this perseverance of faith that lasts throughout their lifetime, there's coming a day when we will indeed be commended. We will find out all along that it was God's grace that, that allowed us to, to hold on, but we will be commended. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. We see another example of this in Matthew 25 in, in the parable of the talents when Matthew 25, verse 23, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. See, suffering in your life may be unpleasant for the moment, but what it's producing in you is this, this genuine faith, this lasting faith, and this commended faith. That will see you all the way through the end where one day we will hear the Lord Jesus Say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master's rest. Spin a diamond again. It produces this loving faith. It's another facet here of what is being produced through through suffering. It's this loving faith. Verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You know, none of us have seen Jesus. None of us have seen the physical, literal, resurrected Jesus. You may have thought you saw him at the truck stop in Gaffney, but that wasn't him, right? So the guy looked a lot like him, maybe. I think there's been some Elvis sightings there, too, and all that, but that wasn't Elvis either. None of us have seen Jesus, right? But yet there's this love in our hearts. There's this love that has been produced for him. We love him. Why? Well, it's produced specifically in suffering because the more that we suffer, the more that we appreciate how he suffered for us. The the more we're aware of our own sinfulness, we realize Jesus died in my place. He suffered for me. The more we suffer, we find him to be true to his word, that he is indeed a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that he never leaves or forsakes us. We turn the diamond one more time, and we we find that not only are all these things, but it's one last. It is producing a saving faith. Verse 9 says that we are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Tom Schreiner said, Christians can have joy in the midst of suffering because suffering is the pathway to a godliness that passes the test on the last day. If you're taking a class, don't you want to pass the final exam? I do. I don't want to waste the time. I don't want to waste the money in the class. I don't pass the final exam. And what suffering is doing is, is creating in us a saving faith. So we spend the diamond and we we're able to praise God for all these things. That suffering won't last very long. That, that, uh, that it is producing this treasure that, that is the greatest treasure that we could ever imagine. And because it, it does have purpose in our lives, suffering does. We praise God in the midst of that for that very reason. I'll just draw you back to where I started. 
And I talked about the, the mother here in our own community, and I didn't plan to say this, but I'll just say this real quick. This mother and father who's right now grieving and not, not, not making light of the suffering that they're in, and their three-month-old son, imagine getting to know that three-month-old. I mean, three months you've spent with this baby. You've come to love this baby. You haven't taken it home yet, but you love this baby. You're praying desperately. You want this baby to live. You want to be able to take this baby home. This baby's yours. God, thank you for this baby. For three months, the baby dies. Can you say in that moment, God, I'll praise you. God, thank you for your grace. Lord, I'm leaning on you to see me through this. I'll praise you in the middle of it. Can you say that? For the believer, that's the reality. That's what we sing when we sing, Though you slay me. I come, God, I come. I return to the Lord, the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart. You strike me down to bind me up. You say that you do it all in love that I might know you in your suffering. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship and I will sing a song to the one who's all I need. Is he all that you need today? I just want to challenge you, implore you to turn to him today. Perhaps you're, as I said to begin with, you've, you've witnessed the unnatural praise of someone who's in the middle of suffering and you just don't know how this makes any sense. Well, I hope today you've heard a little of why a believer can praise the Lord in the middle of that. Maybe you're in the middle of suffering right now and you just want to know what will take this away. Here's what I'll, here's what I'll tell you. If you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ your sins will be forgiven. You will be made right with God. You will be taken from the place. Not only is your sin wiped away, but as Matt said earlier, you've been given favor with God that he delights in you. But I cannot tell you that your suffering will go away. I'd be lying to you if I could. If I could tell you that, then this place would be full and running over every week. If I could say to you, oh, just follow the Lord and, and he's going to take away all your pain. The reality is that's not going to be the case because God is using pain to produce in something, something in you that you want desperately but that you'd never go through in your own doing. Maybe you're here today as a believer and you're struggling to praise God in the midst of some suffering. Let me just remind you of the things today in this passage. Praise God in the midst of it. In light of eternity, it's not that long. It's not without purpose. It's producing something in you that is the greatest treasure that you could ever possess. Praise him this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you that you love us enough that you will not just give us this cotton candy, marshmallow, feel-good faith. But God, that you, will, you, you love us enough, Lord, to take us through suffering so that we might become what you promised that we will. The one who began a good work, I'm confident of this, that he will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would help the one who's in the middle of suffering at this moment, 
God, I pray that you would turn their mourning into praise. Lord, help them to press into you and to find that you are indeed the friend that sticks closer than a brother. God, I pray, Lord, that you would do your work. Do it for your own glory. Do it for our good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond. Maybe perhaps you need to come and pray. The, the steps up here are open for you to come and kneel and do that. Maybe you just need to pray with other people. There will be people out the doors to my right that you can go into a room over there. It's a prayer room, and, and they'll be happy, delighted to pray with you. Maybe you're here today, though, and you don't know the Lord as your Savior. You don't know the hope that I've spoken of today. You don't know the rejoicing that comes as a part of being a follower of Christ. Then today I'm going to just invite you to, to place your faith in the Lord Jesus, to turn from your sins and trust Him. I'll be down here on the front row. I'd love to help you with that. Whatever it is that the Lord is leading you to today, I'm just going to ask you to be obedient, to step out, and to say, Yes, Lord to take a step toward him and find that he is gracious and he will meet you where you are. Let's respond in worship to him.
Pray that you can say amen to that. I, if uh, if you're here today and um, and I you felt like I was insensitive to your suffering, I pray that that's not the case. Um, I'd love to speak with you if you if you're in the middle of pain and you feel alone and you just need somebody, come see me. Love to love to have a conversation with you. Love to walk with you through that. Um, but uh, I just want to challenge you to rejoice. The things that we're dealing with in First Peter are heavy because of what they were facing. They were in the middle of persecution. The culture was beginning to hate them, and it was only going to get worse. And it will be the case for us here as well. So these are things that we desperately need to cling to and to know uh, in the days that we live in. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us, uh, and then I'll dismiss us and and, uh, have you go out and make much of the Lord Jesus today. Don't forget, this is a life group week, and so if you're part of a life group, um, just take note of that. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, thank you that you love us. Lord, thank you that, um, that your grace is all that we need. Lord, that your grace is not just some imaginary uh, thought out there. It's not, some, it's not just some theological cloud out there that, uh, that is, kind of floats in and floats out. But, Lord, your grace shows up in you. Lord, you show up in our lives. Lord, that you are personal, that you come to us. Lord, uh, that you, you, you live within the believer. Lord, that you're not like uh, the, the Old Testament where you would come and go, but, Lord, you stay. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that you are the friend that is closer than a brother. Lord, thank you for the gift of the suffering, even though it's hard to say that. Lord, we don't want to suffer. We'd rather not suffer. But, Lord, I pray that you would do what you need to do in our lives, Lord, as a result. God, we pray this to your own glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.